We've been talking about these last several weeks about our kingdom identity. Our kingdom identity. And who we are in Christ. And what that means is, as we realize who we are, what that means is as, as we apply that and how it works itself out in our lives. Um, there's a quote by Matt Berman. It says, Christ should not just be one component among many in our lives. He ought to be the center from which everything else flows because he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about finances and finances from the Bible. And um, I understand. Thank you, Rob, for your enthusiasm. Uh, if you can think back uh, a couple weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, uh, Rob laid the groundwork of finances and the Bible and sort of an overall view of how we should view finances. And I understand some people might be uncomfortable uh, with this topic, um, and they might feel uncomfortable about sermons on giving because uh, they might feel like we're putting a guilt trip on. Um, I'm not thinking about anybody specifically. Uh, they might feel that there's too many, ref- uh, too many sermons on giving regret, uh, reflect a greedy attitude. Uh, you might feel that you don't like being challenged about, uh, to move beyond your comfort zone. Some people are just stingy with money. Um, and that's fine. But uh, as we look at this tonight, we're going to sort of set some groundwork and then we're going to be talking about some principles. Um, I want to talk about an example of just living with open hands. Living with open hands. And if we make Christ the center of our lives, as he blesses us, as he gives us stuff, the idea is not to just receive the stuff and hang on to it but to keep your hands open, and if he wants to use it, let him use it as he sees fit. Everything belongs to God. It's his anyway. So we just let him use it. Rob talked about three weeks ago um, just how money is talked about in the Bible, and I'm just going to go over that. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer, Fewer than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. It is an important topic. The book of Proverbs alone is filled with many instructions about money. It has been said that Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. Of Jesus' 38 parables, 16 deal with money management. Out of one Uh, One out of every ten verses in the Gospels has to do with money or possession. 288 verses in total. There is more said in the New Testament about money than about heaven and hell combined. This is an important topic. Rod Rogers has this quote here. It says, you will always spend your money on what is most important to you. If you're giving to the church of Jesus Christ is poor, it is a clear sign that you're not excited about the things that God takes delight in. And if you truly take delight in the growth and success of Christ's church, put your money where your heart is. And as we talk about money and, and how we use it is a symptom or a reflection 
of our heart, the attitude of our heart. And so how much do you value the kingdom? As we talk about our kingdom identity and, and God being Lord of all and how we fit in that and we're trying to advance his kingdom, how do you value his kingdom? I'm going to be repeating a phrase uh, tonight a couple times, and it's faith and finances are not separate. Faith and finances are not separate. And so tonight we're going to be looking at, uh, as we talk about uh, finances are a reflection of our heart, we're going to look at two examples of people in the Bible, and we're just going to sort of compare and contrast their heart. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. You can turn with uh, me in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And we'll read to verse 22. And um, this is a familiar passage, maybe for many, but it's talking to a rich, young ruler. And it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother, or under the, your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And we're going to look why he was sad about Jesus' response. But as, as we do that, there's something that sort of stuck out to me. Um, it says in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I find that interesting, and I, I sort of think about uh, with my, my children, and I see my children doing something, uh, usually something they're not supposed to, or they're getting something, they, they get themselves in a situation where they need help, and they look at me, help me, daddy, help me. And I just look at them and sort of just have pity on them. And I look, you know, that sort of look of, really? <laughs> and I know, and, and a part of that for me, when I look at them like that, is I sort of want to, you know, I, you, you can lovingly laugh at your children. <laughs> Those with children will agree. When they do, just do something so innocent, but also so, yes, thank you. <laughs> and I, I believe that's the same way that Jesus looked at this man. He got, he's asking about eternal life, and he, he, he says, look at all I do. And even Jesus said in the beginning, no man is good except God alone. But he says, but I, haven't, but I do all this, and I do that, and I've checked off this box. And Jesus looked at him, and, and, and he loved him. And he said, all right, 
This is, this is the answer. Sell all your possessions first and then come follow me. And he walked away sad. But what was so sad about his response here? Because it seemed like he was serious about eternal life. He even referred to Jesus, good teacher, and, and sort of acknowledging Jesus' authority. I, I really believe his question here was sincere. But as serious as he was about eternal life, he was even more serious about his possessions. Uh, one thing that my, my parents told me, I, I remember uh, we, uh, back in the summer of 1994, we, we bought a pool. We had an above-ground pool installed. It was great, installed on my birthday. Best birthday present ever. Wasn't my pool, but you know. Um, but with the pool, with that possession, it ends up sort of possessing you. You have to maintain the pool constantly because if you don't, it turns green and no one's going to swim in it. And you, if you can think back of all the possessions that you have, they sort of, in a way, end up possessing you. I have a car. It's not a flashy car. It's almost a 20-year-old car, but I still need to change the oil. Possessions end up possessing you in some way or another. Up to this point, this young rich man, his quest for eternal life didn't require anything from him. It was easy. It was easy for him. And all of a sudden, Jesus is asking something that was hard. He made wealth more important than God. And all these possessions, those possessions ended up possessing his soul. Now we're going to contrast this rich young man with another person found in Mark. In Mark chapter 12, we're going to see about the heart of a poor widow. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44, it says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Um, let me throw a little bit of context in here with this story, or with this account. Um, it talked about the treasury, and this was a place outside the temple where they would come and give their offerings. Um, and there were different boxes for each type of offering. Uh, in total, there were 13 boxes, and they had um, one for temple dues, past dues, bird offerings, wood offerings, spice offerings, gold offerings, um, among others. 
And they would come and put in their offerings. And they were instructed to do this. And we're going to look at a couple instructions here. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 37, it says, To bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit of all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priest, to the storerooms of all the house of our God, to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in our farming, in all our farming communities. And so something we see here that they're supposed to bring their first fruits. And you see that word tithe, no? And we'll think about it, it means one-tenth or 10%. And so of all that they have, right off the top, 10%. All right? Without doing the calculations and running the numbers, if it's enough to get them through. But 10%, boom. Also in Malachi 3, 8, uh, Verse, uh, verses 3, 8 through 10, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so here in the Old Testament, we see another instruction that if you are not tithing, God says, you are robbing me. And he talks about curse. But what's interesting here, he talks about curse, but then on the other end, he says, test me. Test me in this. And watch me bless you. If you do this, I will flow I will throw uh, open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so this is some of the base for the Old Testament giving. And we've used the word tithe, and it means one-tenth. But really, in the year, they had, there were two times where they had to tithe. And so we're not just talking 10%, but double that, that would be... 20%, we got some math majors out there, that's awesome. Now, every three years, there's also another tithe that happens. So if we average that all out, a tithe in the Old Testament is about 23%. Okay? And this is Old Testament giving. And so now as we come back to uh, the, old, the poor widow we can see that this is probably one of the greatest examples of giving in the Bible. It demonstrates such a positive and willing attitude she gave from her heart. It's great because it proves that giving is not limited by one's possessions. She was compared with these people who threw in great wealth but yet hers was greater. It's great because it is completely unexpected and it's based on a different standard. If she was giving and, and we would have to judge it probably from human standards, we would say, see her two copper coins and see people just putting great wealth in over here and we'd say, well, I mean, I'd rather receive that than two pennies. But this 
in God's eyes, it puts God-honoring giving within the reach of everybody. It's something everybody can do. It's great because the widow shames that which otherwise appears generous. She put them to shame. And it's great because she alone demonstrates sacrifice. This widow is the example of how we should give today. Again, tithing was something under the Old Testament law. And when Jesus, came, Jesus Christ came and died, he satisfied the law. So we're no longer under the law. It no longer burdens us today. However, those who have trusted Jesus Christ and made him Lord of your, uh, leader of your life and has accepted him of your, as your Savior, we should still want to give to be able to support the gospel and the poor. In the New Testament, rather than give a certain amount out of obligation, Christians are urged to give sacrificial gifts as well as talents and abilities that have been entrusted in our care. Uh, a pastor named Bill Miller made this uh, statement. Friend, giving to God is about honoring him for the great things he has done in our lives. It always has been that way under the law. We are not required to tithe under the new co covenant, but where is the scripture that says we can stop honoring God under the new covenant? Giving is about worship. The Old Testament does provide us a model of how to give today. The temple no longer exists, but God has established the local church to carry on his mission today. The church is the new sanctuary. It's where we attend. It's where we are taught. It's where our children are taught. It's where we worship. And it's the hope of the world. We're not to tithe. We're supposed to give sacrificially. Test the Lord in these things. Again, faith and finances are not separate. Uh, I want to share just a testimony of how this fleshed out in our lives. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I lived in Peru for the last 12 years. My family, we, we served as missionaries there. And in May, we moved to Somerville. When we got here, we really had no clue how much things cost. We were just removed from here. And then we get here, and we realized we chose the absolute worst time to move to Somerville, South Carolina. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but the housing market here was just ridiculous. So we came here, we have our house. Something else was going on at the time, too. This thing that I've been hearing about, I don't know if you guys have heard, inflation? You guys, I don't, I don't know. Uh, gas, over the, do you guys remember what gas prices over around May and stuff? We chose the absolute worst time. 
And so we get here and we sort of have an idea, but not really. And then we finally figure out what we're making, what the mortgage, what other things is. And, and we're going through the numbers and we realized we really can't give. And I told my wife, we had a little budget meeting in the house, and I told her, um, well, let's test God in this. Let's test God in this for one month, and we'll see what happens. And so we decided to, to give, and the, my wife, she was able to find a job, and she cleaned a house one day a week each time in the summer, and the Lord provided we made it through the summer. My wife uh, got a, a full-time job translating at a middle school, and we were able to give even more. And for us, it was such an encouragement to really put this, take, put God at his word and say, okay, Lord, this is what we're going to do. I don't know how you're going to provide for it, but this is what you're going to do. And by God's glory, he did. And for, for us, that's when our that's just another example of our faith becoming real. Um, and I know that's, that's just one example. I can, if you guys want to, I can go out for coffee and I can explain more how just the good hand of the Lord has been on us since we decided to move here. But it is something that has really strengthened our faith and really confirmed that, okay, uprooting my family from Peru and moving to a different continent this is what we were supposed to do. So, what, what we've been doing these last uh, few weeks is we've been finishing by asking these three questions. And the first question is, what are you hearing from God? How can we pursue holiness with our money? Where do we fit in in the kingdom, our identity, what does this have to do? What are we hearing from God? Well, hopefully, we're hearing is giving is a matter of obedience. But how do we start? Where do we start? Maybe it's something that you haven't been uh, accustomed to doing or you've never thought about it. And just start. Take account of your money. Um, there's no shame in saying, I don't know what to do. We have a finance team here at church that uh, can walk alongside you, help you develop a budget, help you see how your finances can be used to advance the kingdom of God. I understand people are guarded about this, but it's something that God has really put importance in his word, and I think it's something that is important in all of our lives. We've been asking, how, what are you hearing from God? And then we've also been asking, how are you being challenged? And I got a couple challenges for us. The first challenge is, give sacrificially. Um, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, Pastor Rob taught on this last week. And it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we see this principle of putting off 
and putting on. And as I think about sacrificial giving, this is a great example. And just in a real practical way, and this is just a practical example, is a lot of people like their morning drive through coffee. And that is something easy to put off so you can put on generosity and giving. And that's just an example. I'm not forcing you to do anything. But that is just an example of how you can give sacrificially. Giving up your drive-through coffee to be able to give and, and take the step of obedience of giving to the Lord. Another thing uh, to be challenged about is give thoughtfully. Pray about it. Pray about it. God has given you this resource, this tool. It doesn't matter, as we've seen from the example of the widow, it doesn't matter how much, how little you make, it is a tool to be used, and you want to use it wisely. Give thoughtfully, pray about it, ask questions. I understand if, if you're uh, new to church and you're sort of weary about giving to church, ask us questions. We're very transparent about where the money goes and how it's being used. A third challenge is give enthusiastically. Don't just say, oh, the plates are coming around again. Fine. And, and drop in a, 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 couple, a couple of bills. Be enthusiastic about it. Do you understand what you're giving to, advancing the kingdom? Does it get you excited to see your money be uh, the your money and resources used at this at Hope Church that is involved actively participating in 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 preaching the word, actively sharing the gospel, actively uh, trying to be involved in the community? Each month we do grocery giveaways. And by your giving, you get to be active participants in the grocery giveaways, whether you show up Fridays or not. That's exciting. Do you get excited about giving to gospel-centered things? If you don't, that's, that's, that's a problem. That's a heart problem. Give enthusiastic. Be a part of what God is doing. Number four, give voluntarily. Don't feel pressured. This is something between you and God. And yes, it's a, it's a matter of faith. It's maybe just giving a little bit is a big step of faith for you. But give voluntarily. We're not going to be passing the buckets around, holding them, giving you eyes, like, and shaking them at the same time, like, hmm? <laughs> we don't want to put that pressure on you. But uh, we want it to be something that God has, has done. If you're giving out of pressure, like, I really don't feel God's going to bless that anyway. And the fifth one, give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, uh, there, with that, with that first part, it's talking about being, um, giving thoughtfully, giving enthusiastically, giving voluntarily. 
But it, the verse finishes saying, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Um, those of you who are parents, you know what it's like to give your kids gifts on Christmas Day, how much fun that is. Um, and it's the same thing. We should be giving cheerfully. And the third question that we ask in this part of application, we've been asking, so what needs to happen for you to obey? What needs to happen? Well, just start giving. <laughs> Figure it out. Just start giving. Um, giving is just like any other muscle. You need to use it. You need to develop it. You need to exercise it. If you're not used to it, it's, it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to hurt. And you know what? Sometimes when you make that first step of faith, you know, it's like if you're training for a marathon and you just run that first mile, you get off the couch and you run that first mile, it, it can hurt a little bit. And I acknowledge that. And I think, uh, you know, it might hurt to write that first check saying, oh, or drop those, whatever it is, it might hurt a little bit. But I promise you, as you see the Lord provide, as you see, um, as you see him uh, use that money, that muscle starts getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Just start somewhere. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And again, I'm not, this sermon is not meant to be something to uh, bring on guilt trips or, or make you feel bad, or, um, but it's meant to teach because it is an important topic to God. I want to finish with this quote by David Platt. It says, According to Jesus, our money does not just reflect our hearts. Our hearts follow our money. One of the most effective ways to fuel affection for God is to give your resources in obedience to God. As much as we talked about giving and these practical steps of giving, it all comes back to our heart. It's an issue of our heart. And we can see that with the rich young ruler. We definitely see that with the poor widow. It has nothing to do about the amount. It's the heart behind it. It always comes back to the heart. And as we talk about kingdom identity and who we are, so much of who we are is reflected our heart is reflected by how we use this resource of finances that God has given us. Let's finish in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for really instructing us in this very important issue. Father, help us to examine our hearts. Father, help us to realize just the blessings that you've given to us. Lord, if this is something that uh, we just need to take a step of faith and obedience to start, Father, give us the courage to do so. Father, help us to have wisdom in how to proceed, wisdom of how to use uh, this tool of finance to further your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, so much for how you've blessed us. And thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of what you're doing and get to participate in your kingdom work.
Father, I just thank you so much again for your love and your mercy in our lives. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.